Well, for you 430 years, I bring you greetings from, on behalf of the Diagonal, greetings from the CP10 people. It's good to be back. For you OMFites, welcome. Um, for many of you, it's welcome back to WSCCC. It's always great to be working in partnership, sending in partnership with you OMFers. And to you ex-WS people, you know, welcome home. I know there's a fair number of you out there today. It's an exciting time, as I shared before, to be part of WSCCC. For you regulars, two weeks to go. So next week is the last Sunday you'll be meeting here. And then uh, the following week, you move back home to your newly renovated church buildings in Strathfield. For those of you who are visiting today, uh, part of the excitement is the fact that we have been renovating uh, the church um, at Strathfield and we'll be doing this side uh, this time next year um, and it's looking great. Andrew and I were wandering around the new church uh, there in Strathfield this week. We both think it's fantastic. It's going to be a great place to do church. It's going to be our spiritual home. I just want to show you a few photos from just two days ago. So the outside there, you see, it's going to be, it's modern, but I think it's still respectful to, the, to tradition. And there's one main entrance to the church, so people know where to go. <laughs> when you walk inside, you'll see there, it's light and it's airy. You turn left to go to the chapel, go up the stairs to go to the hall. And there's a lift for those who need to use that. There'll be a massive fellowship area, great for morning tea, great for lunch, with a new kitchen on the side. When you go down to the chapel, you see that it's been flipped around and modernised, and that's going to be, it's looking really, um, really nice. The hall um, where our services, our English services um, meet, has been flipped backwards as well and modernised. It kind of looks the same, but it's mirror image to what it was. You'll get used to that. Access to Sunday school downstairs is uh, like a hall now. The most important part of the project, the bathrooms are new. <laughs> if you ever went to the men's toilet, it was just dreadful. So we have new bathrooms and I'm so excited about that. <laughs> All of these things are a great blessing from God and we can enjoy worshipping him, doing ministry, bringing friends to an environment that is now conducive to preaching God's word. This is the church for our future. But in today's passage... In Hebrews, we're looking at a different place of worship. We're looking at the Jewish temple and its earlier form, the tabernacle, from the Old Testament 3,000 years ago. Was that temple just an ancient form of church? And is our church today just a modern version of that old temple? What, what is the difference? Was the temple just a place for people to go to worship God? What is the relevance of that temple for us as Christians today? Or is it just an interesting part of, uh, of Christian history? What is the relevance of that old temple to our, to our Christian lives today? Well, we're not admiring the temple for its beauty. The Jewish temple was actually destroyed by the Romans 2,000 years ago, and all that stands there today is one wall. It's not grand. But as we look at the temple today, hopefully we'll see that, we'll see that it's completely to anything else built in church in, in all of history. This place was unique. While the physical temple is gone, for Christians... It's the spiritual reality of templeship that remains critically important and relevant to us today, and in fact, for all of eternity. The temple and its sacrifices can seem so distant, so irrelevant, and frankly, boring. For many of us growing up at church, our understanding is that temple was fulfilled in Jesus, and so we can forget about it today. But today's passage in Hebrews says that's not true. The book of Hebrews actually ties the Old Testament with the New Testament together. But even more than that, Hebrews ties together the Old Testament, 
the New Testament and the current world together. How so? I'm going to suggest to you that the temple is actually a theological concept that is greater than one building. The concept of temple is something that evolves in the Bible into something amazing and something glorious. And what we're going to explore today is that progressive revelation about temple. And this is it in summary, five points quick, uh, quickly. Firstly, it started off as a tabernacle, which is the tent built by Moses. Secondly, it became a grand temple built by King Solomon. Thirdly, Jesus himself became the metaphorical temple. And then fourthly, God's people, the church, or us, became that metaphorical temple. And finally, the temple will be, will be fulfilled with God himself as that temple. And we'll explore each one of those steps. So... The temple's fantastic, it's clever, it's intricate, it's meaningful, and I just love the temple. There are so many questions we might have about the temple, and I hope we can address some of them today. What was the setup of the temple? What was in each room? What's the difference between temple and tabernacle? What did, what did Jesus do away with the temple? Our churches today, the modern versions of temple. I hope that after we look at what the Bible says about templeship, it's going to draw us nearer to God and will reassure us in our faith. So, the first thing we need to do is to get our terminology right. We need to understand what we're talking about. The tabernacle and temple are two different things, but kind of the same things as well. The tabernacle was the earlier form of the temple. It was just a tent with two rooms. God told Moses to build this temporary tent in Exodus 26. It was portable and they moved it around as the Israelites wandered through the desert and into the promised land. That tabernacle was the centre of Israel's worship for 300 years. It was simple, it was not grand, but it served God's purpose. The temple, on the other hand, was different. It replaced the tabernacle. So when David was king, he thought that God deserved something greater than a tent, something permanent, something glorious that reflected God's glory. So the temple was actually finally built by his son Solomon, and it was a grand building that attracted people from all over the world to see it. It was like a palace that befitted God deliberately extravagant, deliberately glorious, because God is glorious. And that temp temple was fixed in one place at the capital, Jerusalem. But what were the temple and tabernacle for? Well, while they were different pieces of architecture, they both had the same spiritual significance. They had the same basic layout, contained the same holy items, things like the bowls and lampstands. Those things are interesting, but we shouldn't be bogged down in those sorts of details about what each item means. Why not? Because Hebrews today said, we can't discuss these things in detail now. There were greater and more important things for us to focus on, like the concept of templeship itself. But here are the basics. As we saw in the video and we read in Hebrews, there are only two rooms. Firstly, the holy place, which is the outer room, where the regular priests would offer sacrifices of worship every day. And then there was a curtain that separated them from the, that room from the next room, called the most holy place, or the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that was where God dwelt. God's presence is in the Holy of Holies. Just take a moment to imagine that, God's presence here on earth, God himself dwelling amongst his people. The tabernacle was where heaven and earth met. You didn't need to ask where, whether God exists or where God is, because he dwelt amongst his people at that tabernacle. Where's God? Oh, he's over there. He's in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And so that tabernacle was not just like any other church or any pagan temple. 
It was the one and only true temple where God himself dwelt amongst his people. It was a very special and holy place. The curtain before the Holy of Holies was also very important, and this is my favourite part of the tabernacle. It separated sinful people from a holy God. So if anybody wandered in, they would be immediately struck dead because of their sin. But what was amazing about that curtain was that you could open it. It provided access to God. People could go through that curtain, but they had to do so in the way that God intended. But the important fact was that you could have access to God, and that's why I love the curtain. So the purpose of the tabernacle was this, so that God himself could make himself available for humans to have a relationship with him. The tabernacle was God's initiative. It wasn't man's. It's not man's idea to build a place of worship. It was an instruction from God in Exodus to build the tabernacle where he, where he would dwell on earth with us. It was taking the initiative to form a relationship with his people. God reaching out to men and women. God desires us to know him and no other God is like that. That's why the Fungs are going out to Japan to declare this God who wants to know people. What happened inside the tabernacle? Well, the Holy of Holies was so holy that only one person, the high priest, could pass through that curtain and enter that room and only one day of year, which is the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, which is just passed on, uh, on the Jewish calendar. Before the high priest went in, he had to purify himself by offering a sacrifice and then he'd tie a rope around his waist before going in through that curtain so that in case he got struck dead because he wasn't quite pure, someone could drag him out by that rope without themselves going in through that curtain. That's how holy God is. You couldn't muck around with God's holiness. So inside the Holy of Holies, the high priest would sprinkle the blood of a bull for his own sins and then uh, on, on top of the ark and then the blood of a goat for the sins of the people. And then after that, he would offer incense as an act of worship to God. That's what happened at the tabernacle and the temple. So it's through this day of atonement, through the shedding of blood, the blood of an animal, that a high priest on behalf of the people could pass through that curtain into God's presence. And this is how people could become accept acceptable to God. That's why it says in uh, chapter 9, verse 22, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This system was called the First Covenant. This was how to express your relationship with God back in those days. But that system is very messy, not to mention dangerous, unhygienic and inconvenient. It's blood everywhere, it's smoke inhalation, the hassle of having to go to that temple in that city every year. And it was just a series of rituals. It didn't necessarily involve the heart, it wasn't personal. All you had to do was go through those motions. But the writer of Hebrews says that that system, that first covenant, wasn't actually effective. Killing an animal isn't going to make you right before God. Following a formula can't make you right before God. It's not that simple. In verse 9, it says about that first covenant, it's an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. They were just an illustration. These regulations were just a symbol of a greater reality, something that was to come later on, something would, that would have lasting and, and personal value. 
the animal sacrifices as a physical act, they were no better than a barbecue. But what made them meaningful was that they were a symbol pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus. The temple was just a building made of stone, but what made that significant and meaningful was that that was a symbol pointing to Jesus. It was the fulfilment of temple. Now, when Margaret and I got married, 22 years ago now, we, thank you, uh, we bought an engagement ring and wedding rings. The ones we chose were very simple. They were not fancy. We were poor back then. Uh, the diamond was not very big, and we bought it at a closing down sale at Bruce and Walsh, for those of you who are old enough to remember that, in 1997 on King Street. Nowadays, when she gets together with private school mums, she sees them flashing their five-carat, tasteless, blingy, expensive rocks on their fingers that are absolutely massive, as if they're the most important thing. But the engagement rings and the wedding rings, they don't form the marriage. How big the diamond is doesn't reflect how strong the marriage is. The rings are just a symbol of a greater reality. They're illustrations to say that Margaret and I are married to each other. Without the reality of marriage, the ring is just jewellery. It's just a chunk of metal and a stone on top. In the same way, without Jesus, the tabernacle is just a tent and the sacrifice is just a barbecue. Let's look at what happened to the temple throughout history and, and in real life. Although it was the centre of their faith, it was not the be-all and end-all of the Israelites' faith. Yes, it was the holiest place in the world where heaven met earth and where God dwelt but the temple turns out to be dodgy. What happened? The tabernacle was built by Moses in about 1500 BC. Solomon built the temple to replace it in 1000 BC. But in 587 BC, the Babylonians completely destroyed the temple, destroyed the Ark of the Covenant and took the nation of Israel into exile in Babylon, wiped out the temple. 38 years later, the Israelites were allowed to return to the Promised Land and they built a simpler replacement temple, which was not quite as good, but it was still a temple, no ark in there. But by AD 70, the Romans completely destroyed it again, wiped it out, it was never rebuilt, and there's nothing there except that one wall today. And it was in this era that the writer of the book of Hebrews lived in, an era when the Jewish Christians, they weren't quite sure how to worship God without a temple. They weren't quite sure what Jesus' life and death meant to the system. They're still trying to work their theology of temple in this passage. Today, at the location where that temple stood, there is, ironically, an Islamic mosque called the Dome of the Rock. This previously holy location where God's holy temple once stood, where God dwelt, now has a mosque built on top of it where Muslims come to worship. It's just not right. If the temple was such a big deal then how could God allow that to happen? A mosque on the site of the temple. And this is precisely why there have been wars over this site for thousands of years right up to today. Well, those people need to read Hebrews chapter 9, our passage today. For Christians, the physical temple is no more because it's been fulfilled by Jesus. The physical, while the physical temple was the way to God before, today Jesus is the way to God. He fulfilled the purpose of that temple. What does Hebrews say today about how Jesus fulfilled the temple? Well, there are two verses there, two things. He didn't go through a physical temple, but a spiritual one that is perfect. Verse 11, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is not to say part of this creation. So he created direct 
spiritual access to God himself. No need for a building. The second thing is that he achieves by the shedding of his own blood on the cross, dying for us, not by animal blood, because his blood was more effective since he was perfect, he was human, and he was God's son. His sacrifice, therefore, is adequate, it's comprehensive, and it changes people's souls. So verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So Jesus' sacrifice fulfilled the temple and sacrificial system and ushered in a spiritual reality. The way to meet God was through a spiritual temple. That's what the new covenant was, and that's what replaced the old system. The new temple is Jesus himself. We don't need the physical temple. The way to meet God is to come through Jesus. And the Gospels testified to this very clearly during Jesus' life. I just want to refer to three verses about Jesus. When he was born, firstly, in John chapter 1, it says, the word, that is Jesus, he became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The word dwelling is literally tabernacling. <laughs> so the verse translated, translates directly, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus was God's tabernacle. Then in John chapter 2, Jesus has that encounter where he cleared the temple of all those shonky salesmen. And when, Jesus, and when the Jews challenged Jesus about it, he replied, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And the temple he had spoken of was his body. So Jesus was saying there that he was the temple. He would be crucified, die, rise again after three days as God's temple. And finally, in Matthew 27, when Jesus dies, when he was crucified, the account says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain between the most holy place, the holy place and the most holy place that separated man from God, all gone. Jesus' death gave access for believers to go directly into God's presence. So there we have it. Jesus fulfills the temple and its purpose. Through Jesus, God dwelt amongst his people. Through Jesus, a perfect sacrifice made us clean before God. And through Jesus, that curtain was torn and we can have a relationship with God. Jesus is the temple. He is what the Old Testament rituals pointed to. And he's the one who makes sense of all those sacrifices and makes sense of that old temple. But it doesn't end there with Jesus as temple. The Apostle Paul wrote that Christians are also the temple, with Jesus as the cornerstone. We're that temple. The church is a bunch of Christians with God dwelling amongst us. Christians are the spiritual embodiment of temple. So Paul says in Ephesians 2, you're God's people with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're God's holy temple. We have a relationship with God. We have God's presence among us. What an amazing thing to contemplate, that Christians are the fulfillment of the Old Testament temple. The question arises then, is our church building that we're building in Strathfield or the one they're meeting in, in here today, is this a temple? Is WSCCC or any other church modern-day temples? Should we call it a temple? West Sydney Chinese Christian temple? Well, yes and no. 
the physical, the physical building is not a temple. So Andrew and I were wandering around the new building uh, during the week. We couldn't find the Holy of Holies. It's not in the plans. There was no curtain. It's all just open plan wonderfulness. The chapel there, it's pretty old looking, but it's not the holy place because it's old. As we've seen, the temple was fulfilled in Jesus and is now spiritual and not physical. So churches, our church, doesn't have a sanctuary where God dwells. We don't have holy places. We don't have altars. We don't have priests. We have Jesus. All of those things were fulfilled in Jesus. So because of Jesus' work, we've got to get rid of all of that Old Testament language from our churches today because it's all about Jesus now. Those terms, those Old Testament terms, I believe, detract from the sufficiency of Jesus' death for us. Our church is not a temple. But what the church building does is that it houses God's people, and the people are that temple. The church isn't temple, but the church houses the temple. It's a subtle but important difference. It's not about the building, it's about the people. We could meet in a park, and that would be temple. We could meet at your home, and that would be temple. We could meet on a conference call on Skype or on FaceTime, and that too would be temple. Sharing lives with Christian brothers and sisters in Yokohama, that would be temple. So as we move back into that new church building, for those of you from 4.30, we need to see it not as a holy place, but simply as a building filled with holy people growing in Christ. But there's one more thing. The temple was meant to be glorious because God is glorious. But we're not like that, are we? As God's temple, we're flawed, we're sinful, even though we're forgiven. We aren't the ultimate fulfillment of the temple. The ultimate temple is truly gl glorious. It's eternal, it's perfect, and that's the heavenly temple. It's what is described at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21. The scene is set in heaven, described as a holy city, the, the new Jerusalem, and John sees heaven in all its glory in Revelation 21.3. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The dwelling of God is with men. What a wonderful scene. In heaven, God lives with us, and we are in his actual presence. But what about the temple? Is there a temple in heaven? Well, he goes on to talk about that in verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This is it. God is the temple. What's the purpose of temple? For people to be able to have a relationship with God. And this is it in its final form. God and Jesus are our temple. In heaven, we have a direct relationship where we see God face to face. Every barrier has been removed. Sin has been dealt with. The curtains removed. No fear, no death. In, verse, uh, in chapter 20, verse 3 and 4, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. There's nothing better. This is what templeship was all about. Seeing God face to face, having his presence. And this is what we can look forward to. This is what the whole Bible builds up towards. This is templeship and templeship is glorious. So I want to summarise what the Bible says about temple. Firstly, that God's desire from the beginning was to have a relationship with his people, and that's why he told Moses to build the tent, the tabernacle. 
The temple that Solomon built was more substantial, but it didn't last. But it was Jesus' life and death that fulfilled the purpose of the temple. And, that, and he became that temple for us. And as a church, us, God's people today, we are the temple founded with Jesus as the cornerstone. But it's only in heaven at the consummation that we will truly see what templeship is about, being in God's actual presence, in holiness, in perfection, and in a right relationship with him. There are some applications that we need to draw out from this passage in Hebrews as we consider templeship. And there are just five short things I want to mention. Firstly, we need to realise the importance of the Old Testament tabernacle and temple as a foundation for our Christian life. It forms a framework for the gospel. So often it's tempting for Christians today to, to, to poo-poo all the Old Testament practices and, practice and, uh, and symbolism as historical, as irrelevant and of sec secondary importance. The Old Testament temple is how God chose to reveal himself to us and we have to take that time to contemplate it and to cherish it. Secondly, we need to realise that God really does want to have a relationship with us. His desire is to know us, to love us, and to care for us. That was his motivation for taking the initiative to establish the tabernacle and ultimately to send Jesus. We are so important to God that he gave his own son to die as a sacrifice so that we can be made pure before him. The writer of Hebrews goes on, uh, in the next chapter, to encourage us to say, uh, by saying, draw near to God, come to the temple, which is Jesus, come to know God, come through the curtain, accept what he's done for us, accept his sacrifice for us, and through him have access to God. God wants to know us, and if you're not sure what to do, talk to anybody who's a Christian here today. Thirdly, for us as a church today, we need to realise that we Christians are also God's temple. And so we are to reflect God's character as his temple. We have to strive to be a temple that is godly and holy. We must have unity rather than division. We are to declare God's praises as a church. In the Bible, people came from all over the world to know God, to come to the temple, to, to see God's glory. And in the same way, we as a church need to draw people to come to know God by our character, by what we do, what we say, in our worship, in our fellowship, in our evangelism, and in our global mission. What does our church service say each Sunday about God? What does our singing say about God? Our fellowship afterwards, what we do during the week, what we do throughout the world. We need to remember that we are God's holy temple. As we move into, fourthly, as we move into the new building, we need to see that it's not a temple but it's a place to build each other up as God's people. It's going to be a fantastic place to know God better, to encourage each other, to be worshipping together, to be serving God together, and to declare God to the world through that church. So let's use the new church to glorify God. And the final encouragement I want to make to you is to realise just how great that ultimate temple in heaven is like. In fact, of course, there is no temple, just God himself and Jesus being in God's presence, seeing him face to face in perfection, without sin, without pain or tears. Look forward to heaven because this is our destiny as Christians. The tabernacle started as a humble tent, but it ends in glory before God himself, achieved through Jesus, who is the cornerstone of that temple. That's templeship. It is central to our faith. 
And may we give thanks to God for it. Amen.